The following is a Barrett Sports Media production. We do the digging so you don't have to. We've got breaking news. Breaking news. Breaking news. Bringing you the biggest stories from the industry you care about. This is the Media Noise Podcast. Well, let's hear it. Now, here's your host, Dimitri Ravanos. I think we have a pretty good show for you today. Arky Shea and I are going to argue about the future of the Big Ten coming up in just a moment. Peter Schwartz is going to stop by. He, of course, works at WFAN in addition to writing for us and has a lot of unique insight into what is going on there right now, the excitement around all of the WFAN legends going into the Radio Hall of Fame. Those are the guests today. But first, can we please, 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 be done talking about Live Golf as a media story. I get if you're a golf fan, maybe if you're a sports fan, I, hell, if, if there's a political angle to it as well, I, I get that then it still has some value. But David Faraday made some headlines this week for saying point blank, look, I left NBC for the Live Tour for the money. Uh, and then he went on this long rant about how in the real world, you you have to be aware of, uh, of uh, uh, cancel culture, et cetera, et cetera. And we sort of debated whether or not this should go on the site. I mean, after all, here's a guy that chose to leave NBC to go to a golf tour that streams on YouTube at the moment. Uh, And I, I kept coming back to this as I was thinking about it, talking about it with the other editors from a media standpoint. The live tour needed Charles Barkley to be even remotely relevant, right? I mean... Let's think back about everything else that has happened. David Faraday going from NBC to the Live Tour. Is that a big deal to us in this business, or is it a big deal to us in this business if you're a golf fan? I think it's the latter, right? Arlo White going to the Live Tour right before their first event happens. Is that a big deal in this business, or is it a big deal because he had just been fired by NBC as the voice of the Premier League, and we all like him because of Ted Lasso. I think it's the latter, right? Uh, You know, I know that there are people that genuinely love golf. I wrote about this a couple of weeks ago when Charles Barkley was going on his Woe Is Me, People Won't Let Me Do Whatever I Want tour uh, after it came out that he was not going to join the Live Tour. I totally understand the appeal of playing golf. I do. To me, it's a lot like video games, though. I get the appeal of doing it myself. I'm not going to sit around and watch someone else do it. Who cares? So understand that I come at this from a very biased angle. And I'm not sitting here telling you that let's not give the Live Tour any more press because of, you know, the Saudi government or these guys absconding away from the PGA Tour. It's, it's none of that. It is genuinely... I don't think our industry really cares or even, dare I say, is affected by what the Live Tour does until they sign a TV deal and that TV deal better be huge because we don't pay attention to PGA Tour TV deals. I feel like the once-in-a-lifetime nature of the Live Tour, a major sports promotion being an actual threat to the establishment. We've never seen that before in our lifetime. And that is what is interesting. Literally nothing specifically that happens on the tour, in business around the tour, holds anyone's attention for longer than two seconds. 
Arky Shea wrote about the Big Ten, I guess, leaving ESPN this week, or they are about to leave ESPN for greener pastures with CBS and NBC. Arky, you wrote this column from the standpoint of look at what happened to the NHL those 10 years they were kind of in the wilderness or 15 years they were kind of in the wilderness before they went back to ESPN. That could be the Big Ten's fate. I think the idea is absolutely insane. We are dealing with two very different entities in terms of popularity across the United States. But walk me through why you think the Big Ten really should have kept the NHL in mind when they were making that deal. Well, it's because of the network, clearly. like It's it's because ESPN controls, for lack of a better term, the sports landscape. I mean, that's the only 24-hour sports network of any type of relevance anybody cares about. It sets the agenda every day with far as discussion when it comes to get up and first take and Stephen A. Smith and Mike Greenberg. Their personalities go on, and Demetri, you and I know this, like their opinions and their thoughts get sports talk radio throughout the country talking throughout throughout the entire day. Like there's so much that ESPN controls that if you are not a partner with them, then you sort of get put to the back burner. And I'm not saying that they'll disappear because the NHL didn't disappear, but to be able to gouge, try and gouge ESPN, have as much money as possible for what is essentially a crappy package, I think is really short-term thinking on their part. Okay, I I don't disagree with you that it probably did sour the relationship with ESPN, but my pushback would be name any NHL team that is as big of a brand nationally as Ohio State football. Name any NHL team that has the national appeal of Michigan football. I mean, the ESPN could afford to ignore the NHL if they were playing, you know, business hardball with them. They can't do that with Ohio State. Like, are you really during the college football season not going to talk about Ohio State? Well, ESPN still talked about hockey, just at a much lesser rate. They focused on other sports. Um, you know, ESPN personalities and sports center personalities have been on the record and said that they wouldn't even be in the rundown hockey would would be. And that's in the middle of the season during the Stanley Cup. They would still talk about it, but not focus it nearly as much. Let's okay, but, see, but that's, that's well, kind of my pushback, though. My pushback is... During the hockey season, it's also the NBA season. It's also the college basketball season, two things ESPN is very invested in. During the college football season, no matter what Ohio State is doing, how are you not going to talk about Ohio State? Because either they're the best team in the country or they are the biggest disappointment in the country. You're going to talk about them, but you're also going to talk about one of the two to three really good SEC teams that are going to be happening throughout the country, and that's the contract that you do have going for for the next seven eight nine ten years uh for the contract with that conference and that does behoove you to talk about them even more and even even extrapolated a little bit more college game day is the preeminent pregame show it has been for decades there's no reason to go feature a big 10 uh, campus at all like this this show doesn't have to go to any particular game, no matter how good we think it is. It goes to the game that it wants to go to. So if there's a similar game, or if you want to go feature James Madison newly in, into FBS, or if you want to go check out a you know an FCS game just to give us a blog, you can. You can, and you have all the reason to, because those are where your partnerships are now, as opposed to the Big Ten, who, again, tried to gouge you out of money. And yet you're not going to ignore them. You will still talk about re- very relevant Ohio State and Michigan and Penn State when they when they are good. But you just aren't going to spend as much time 
on them as you could with the others. I, I, I wouldn't. Okay, so let me let me ask you this because we could go round and round in circles on this because you're never going to convince me that is true. But um, we had this story up that said that one of the sticking points for the Big Ten was they absolutely did not want to be on ESPN Plus mm-hmm. at all. Now, I've made the joke for years on podcasts, you and I have done together articles I've written for BSM, that nobody is clinging to the idea that it's going to be 1997 again if we just try hard enough more than the Big Ten. (laughs) This feels like a really long-term, dumb, not decision, but outlook on where we're headed. So I see where the Big Ten wanted to kind of protect who they're probably going to partner with streaming, with Apple a little bit, uh, even the Big Ten Network being able to stream their games. But I think this was a ploy just to throw it into the face of ESPN and say, listen, if you're willing to give us all of this money and you get this terrible package and we don't want to be featured on an ESPN Plus, okay. But ESPN was smarter than that and said, no, that's the that, that's the dumbest thing you could ask. Illinois you... versus Rutgers deserves prime time <laughs> on ABC, Arky. Why would you do that to us? Like after forty <laughs> years, you get the smash and grab money now, but like you're you're gonna suffer because you're not gonna be as big. Like you get your noon game on Fox, great, but we also had a Fox game and an ESPN game going on at noon most of that time. So you start losing prevalence on the network that people go to for their sports and especially for their college sports, because that's where uh, the vast majority of the properties are. So does this motivate ESPN to suddenly, you know, maybe Alabama LSU in a couple of years, isn't nighttime in death Valley. Maybe it's a noon kickoff. Oh yes. Yes, absolutely. You know, I was talking to someone about that earlier this week, what that 11 AM game turns into, because you're not going to go right out of game day and start featuring the Sun Belt immediately. Right. Like <laughs> right. That, that, that's just not going to be the thing. Do you get more inventory from the Southeastern Conference? I mean, we saw they did that with the Georgia-Arkansas game last year. It was a highly profile game. That ended up being a new kickoff. And then does that affect the SEC network inventory when they get, you know, not the primest of games, but they at least get a pretty decent one from primetime? Then do you lose that possibility because you start trickling down good, I almost said good or better games slowly but surely before you get to, you know, What's your three three o'clock game on uh, the uh, the SEC Network? Peter Schwartz is a great resource for us to have at the site right now because he is in the building every single day at WFAN. Peter, you put up a great conversation earlier this week with Susan Waldman, one of three WFAN icons going into the Radio Hall of Fame this year. And what I thought was really interesting in reading your column, it, it comes across that she's pretty uncomfortable with this honor. Yeah, it was it was kind of funny. I, I've known Susan for a very long time. In fact, the first time I ever spoke to her, I was an intern at WFAN wow. <laughs> many, many, many years ago. But but I was still in college. Um, I was working in the newsroom, and she called in to send in an interview she had done with Tom Seaver, and that was the first interaction that I've had with her. So it was kind of interesting to be able to you know write a story about her because I consider her not just a colleague but also a friend. And um, the first question I asked her for the story was, how does it feel now to be called, you know, uh, Hall of Famer Susan Waldman? And she laughed and she goes, I'm very uncomfortable with this. She's not good at getting a, you know, a pat on the back. She's not good at getting compliments or awards. But there was a moment, you know, at City Field during the Subway Series, she was on the field 
you know, watching batting practice and, and, you know, watching, you know, the Mets and Yankees take BP. And a couple of young boys were in the stands and they called her over. They had pictures of her and they asked her to sign her autograph, but say radio hall of fame, Susan Wallman, 2022. Ah, And, and with that, with that moment, she smiled and said, that's when it really hit her. And she thought that was really cool. And she's enjoying it. It's not like she's not enjoying the fact that she's a hall of famer. It's just that sometimes with a lot of the things she's been through in her career, sometimes it's hard for her to take a compliment. But I think in this case, I think now that it's a, we're a couple of weeks you know, removed from the announcement, I think she's doing very well with this. You know, on the polar opposite end of the spectrum from her in terms of receiving the news has been Chris Russo, who had, you know, his celebration uh, tour, his victory lap on ESPN, had his victory tour on SiriusXM, and very well deserved for sure. So we've heard from these yeah. two and how they feel about it. It's interesting we haven't heard much from Jeff Smullyan, uh, the the man who started the station, because we may not be doing this job that you and I are doing if not for him. Yeah, I mean they're they are the original you know people who started WFAN um, and then kept with it you know when when they had some you know you know bumps in the road early on, and then you know for people who don't know the story, they wound up. Um, taking over the iconic 660 frequency when WNBC uh, shut its doors. And with that came I Miss in the Morning moving from WNBC to WFAN. And that really saved WFAN because at that point, they w- weren't really sure where what direction they were going to go to. They started with a lot of you know national voices, and eventually it trickled into having a lot of local voices like Mike and the Mad Dog and right. um and, and obviously the you know Steve Summers overnight was from out of town, but he became iconic overnight. There was patience from high above and realizing some of the mistakes they made early on weren't working out, that they were able to switch their attention to what was working. Um, but you're right about Jeff Smullyan. We haven't heard a lot about him, but he deserves a tremendous amount of credit. I mean I was I was an intern at WFAN the summer before my senior year in college which was the summer of 88. And if they had just at that point, I think that's when they took over the 660, um, 660 frequency and they took over the Nixon Rangers. And everything was going in the right direction at that time. But it, if, if it wasn't for the corporate people up above realizing that the station had to go in a different direction, we wouldn't obviously would not all be sitting here right now. So let me ask you this, then. This is something that I've been thinking about a lot, particularly in the wake of the announcement of who was going into the Radio Hall of Fame this year. WFAN is undeniably the most important station when it comes to sports radio. Maybe the sports hub in Boston has surpassed it in terms of popularity and profitability, but none of it happens without FAN. Um The spotlight that is on it and its history is very well deserved, but I wonder... Uh, what do you think happens first? Do you think we start to see local sports radio icons from other markets get this same recognition from the Radio Hall of Fame? Or is there an obvious next person from the FAN Pantheon that's got to go in first before we start thinking that way? Well, that's a, that's a great question. I, I certainly think there have been a number of other people from WFAN's history that would be extremely worthy of getting into the Hall of Fame. I think a guy like Ed Coleman, who just retired on a full-time basis, you know, covered the Mets for a long time, was a sports talk show host, anchored the middays, um, you know, hosting for a while. I, I think he's someone that, that deserves that kind of recognition. I think Steve Summers 
um, is, is someone, you know, Bob Huesler and, and John Minko. I mean, people that were there for a long time that whether they were, you know, hosting or, or, or anchoring sports updates, you know, iconic people that meant a great deal to the radio station. So I certainly think there's more from WFAN's history that, that needs to be in the hall of fame too. As far as around the country, I mean, obviously there are, there are some radio stations that, have, that adopted the all sports format over the years that have been extremely successful. And I think you have to look at those people. I, you know, Michael Kay's had a long run on ESPN radio in New York. I, I think also, uh, you know, look at Philadelphia. Angelo Cataldi is winding down his career there. I think he's a name you have to look at, you know, for induction. John Kincaid, who spent, you know, a long time in Atlanta, now has moved back home to Philadelphia, is a guy that probably deserves recognition. So I think there's no question, whether it's WFAN or other radio stations around the country, I, I, I think the door is wide open now for a lot of very important voices that are, that should get the call from the Hall of Fame in years to come. Thank you to Peter. Thank you to Arky before him. That is going to do it for the show today. Don't forget a brand new episode of Seller to Seller is out tomorrow. And uh, you can catch every great show we have here on the Barrett Sports Media Podcast Network, whether you are downloading it onto your favorite podcasting platform or streaming in the background of your browser on our YouTube channel. Talk to you next week, everybody. This concludes our broadcast day. Thanks for listening to the Media Noise Podcast with Dimitri Ravanos. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and leave a review. And check back soon for new episodes. To stay up to date on the latest sports media happenings, visit BarrettSportsMedia.com.